Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, it has been a hot minute since we've been together, man, and talking. Um, Last time I talked to you, it was was almost a month ago, I would say. Uh, Maybe not that long. I don't know. It's close, though. Uh, Actually, yeah, you're very, very, very close, I think. Because my brother came around the 18th of uh, November. So, yeah, you're, you're probably might be a little over a month. Right at it. Yeah, I would definitely say so, man. But so since though, since then, we've both had, I mean, that's why we, we sat here and chit chat like two schoolgirls uh, prior to uh, <laughs> actually recording and just bantering back and forth. But since then, I mean, we've, we've both kind of done a lot of different things, new news for both of us, everything. But it, so today's topic, I, I love today's topic. I love where I found it. I, I love everything about it. But when I listen to your story, <laughs> and your story, it literally brought so much laughter to me. I was, I mean, I mean, obviously you could tell through the mic how much I was laughing yeah. with you, not at you, but with you. Um, you told me that you literally had a National Lampoon's style uh, holiday with the siblings. What do you, what do you got to say about it? Uh so it was interesting. We traveled to uh, Dublin. We traveled to Dublin, but it was just like I don't know. It was a lot of stuff all you know involved in it, and I mean everything from the Guinness factory. Like it was a great time. It was just uh, you know initially we get there, you know we get off the plane, catch the bus downtown to where we're supposed to be staying near. Uh, too early to check in, so we throw our bags into this. Uh, we look up the one of those bag storage places, and we throw our bags in there, and we go grab a bite to eat, some oh, Guinness beef stew, our first traditional Irish meal we had. Uh, delicious. So then we grab our stuff, you know, we walk about a mile to the Airbnb. The guy's not responding to my wife's messages or calls. And there we are standing out front of the Airbnb and we can't get in. And we have a one-year-old with us and there's six of us plus the one-year-old. But this is where we kind of, uh, you know, you talked about how we could incorporate this into what we're talking about today. But honestly, so pretty much at this point, my wife jumps into crisis mode. She starts calling Airbnb while she's calling Airbnb. I'm calling hotels in Dublin, looking for hotels. While I'm calling Dublin uh, hotels, you know, the, the siblings are entertaining the kid. My sister's trying to look for a number or phone number somewhere on the building. So all these things are happening at once. And it's really just, a, it was a team effort trying to figure this out. I think, uh, even down to my wife, kind of, she kind of took the brunt of this on her shoulders. It was her fault. And, you know, uh, so one of the siblings is my brother or sister. I can't remember which one pulls her aside and they're talking to her, telling her, you know, this ain't your fault. Like, so basically what ended up happening is this is a scam. Uh, we're pretty sure. But Airbnb was awesome. They refunded all of our money, plus uh, an additional like 50% of what the hotel cost us. We just had to provide receipts. I was able to find us a hotel. Uh, go to the hotel. You know, and we're in Dublin. Oh, by the way, the hotel 
has a traditional Thanksgiving meal the, the next day. Um, you know, we were staying in a place with two rooms and a sofa bed. Now we have all have our own hotel room. We were very centrally located. Uh, the bus stop for the hop on hop off tours was literally outside of our door. The people in the hotel just took to my nephew and like are playing with them, playing peekaboo with them. So it ended up being a great experience. It was the Arlington was the name of the hotel in Dublin. If anybody ever travels to Dublin, I highly recommend the Arlington. So it was just like at one point, just seeing like, oh man, what what's gonna go wrong next? You know what I mean? Like uh, even getting to the airport. So we leave, we're getting to the airport. It's raining, you know, it's traffic. Uh, we get there, we get on the shuttle to go to the actual airport. Uh, apparently we just missed a tractor trailer and a car veering off the road. So as we're driving by where we had just came moments before tractor trailers in the woods, they're using the jaws of life to cut the guy out the truck. And it's like, you know what I mean? How like when you watch National Lampoons, it's like one thing after the other after the other. That's kind of how this trip felt, especially in the beginning. But now once we got situated, it kind of, you know, we hit a groove. Um, it was good. Dublin is a really, really beautiful city, too. Very nice. Um, very nice city. Very friendly people, too. Wow, man. That That is an incredible story. And <laughs> when you told it to me earlier, there was a lot more detailed, obviously. But yeah. I would definitely say there's plenty of elements in today's show that we're going to talk about that match a lot of what was going on there. Uh, you know, it just, it's just like, for instance, like your wife taking on the leadership role and then the crisis management thing and her confidence and trying to get things done and others trying to make things happen. And it's just unbelievable. But like some of the things that I also heard in there, like that really, um, they kind of, I enjoyed hearing about like Airbnb, that the fact that they stand beside their brand, right? And we're not, we're not paid sponsors. We don't, you know, we don't get uh, money to sponsor them or anything like that. But I enjoy Airbnb myself. I've used it a couple times now, but they stand by their brand. Their customer service was amazing. And they, they basically was like, Hey, listen, we're sorry about this here. Take this, you know, that type of thing. And then yeah. the other thing, that I really enjoy about it is you basically, you tried to say it was very much like one of your favorite Christmas movies and it's the national lampoons one. And that's like, so it's like the connection to it and going through all those little things. But in the end, in the end, it turned out to be a family getting together and just in sort of enjoying the company and then something to look back on down the road. And I, I mean, to me, Ed, this is just what I, the way, Listening to you and hearing about it, and I mean, I can only imagine what the siblings have said. Um, it sounds like it kind of helped you all become a little bit more cohesive together, and and, and kind of like like you're learning even more about each other because it kind of puts you guys in a bind together, and it just it helps strengthen you, you know. Yeah, and it helps. So it helps too, like you know, when my wife is in crisis mode, the siblings that she's been around and the family long enough that they know, okay, this is how she deals with things. These are the things we can say, let's leave her alone at this point. Like literally she was walking down the street by herself on the phone with Airbnb trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, so there was that element to it. Yeah. Airbnb was absolutely amazing throughout because I mean, it's really, if you really think about that situation, like here you are, you're in Dublin, you have, no hotel you're in the area very touristy area so you know now you're thinking oh man what's the chances i'm gonna get a hotel 
And then some of them, like, uh, you know, like certain ones that I like to use, I, I, they're more expensive because you're in the touristy area. So you got all these things. Oh, by the way, we only use public transportation. So you don't have transportation. You got a one-year-old. You know what I mean? Like so many elements that I think that understanding each other and our personalities the way we do from the 10 years of these sibling uh, get-togethers for Thanksgiving, I think really aided in how we adjusted and handled that whole situation. Oh yeah, definitely, man. And, and that's, and that's why I said like, it's funny that, you know, you can, you kind of brought that, that whole scenario to the scene and it literally, to me, I think it matches up exactly what we're going to go over today. And it kind of helps the flow of things. I will say, I understand completely going through all that kind of, uh, turmoil and whatnot a little upset that we didn't get a, a siblings throwdown recording but that's okay because obviously you guys were definitely in the bind there but you at least you at least you got to enjoy each other and you said something to me earlier about you just happened to stay at a hotel that served a thanksgiving meal yeah, and that that actually worked out. And of course, they're like, they they identify you immediately that you're an American. They're like, hey, we're doing a Thanksgiving meal tomorrow with the football match on television. And it's like, okay. And uh, was it the greatest Thanksgiving meal we've ever had? Not the taste of the meal, not the food, but the meal itself was probably one of the better ones we've had. Just being there in the moment. It, together i mean you gotta think about it. so what my brother has done the ancestry thing and it came back like we have a huge percentage of us that's irish which we've always been told we're irish so now you gotta think about it. like you're having thanksgiving dinner as a family in ireland with an irish background it was just it, mm-hmm. it was amazing like um we were able to find stuff like uh you can find these like uh your family heritage scrolls that they'll do and my wife was able to find one for her mother which was very meaningful to her because her mother is from irish uh, irish background as well so all that stuff just added to the trip man but like like i said the irish people just so friendly like uh, hotel obviously they're in the customer service business you know hospitality you know end of it but they were just super nice just on the street i funny story some people might think i'm crazy Nephew strapped to my chest. We went to the store to get him some formula or some baby wipes formula, I think. And I'm standing outside and my brother and sister and I, and, and here comes this guy down the street, drunk, right? It's nighttime, drunk Irishman. And he gives my nephew a pound. Like he puts his fist out and my nephew pounds him. He's like, hey, little baby. And my nephew pounds him and the guy like hugs me and my nephew. And then he just goes on about his business. It was such a strange, <laughs> funny part of the story. But that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about National Lampoons. It's like really weird things that just happen. And you're like, okay, all right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And he just randomly, you got a picture with the Irish accent, you know. Hey, little baby. <laughs> like, it was so funny, though. Uh yeah. Now, was my brother's hair standing up on the back of his neck? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, he was in defense mode, obviously, because we're from the States and we're used to my experience in Europe is a little bit different than, you know, and I guess if I was in the States, I probably wouldn't let that guy get that close. I, we'll just say it like that. I'm not bashing my own country, but it's different. It's very different here, the culture and how people are. But it was interesting. 
we just had that conversation the other day and how we feel safer here than we do in our own country because of certain things. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, so I, I kind of, I can relate to what you're saying and I understand it. So, but with that, we are actually getting into a topic about teams because we haven't really, we haven't uh, done much about dealing with teams and, and understanding teams, building teams or anything like that. So, I kind of I, I I was doing some research, um, and really I just I was sitting at my desk and I was looking at some stuff, and I just started reading FM six twenty two, and that that is an that is an open source that anybody can go to if they wanted to. They can they can find it. It's it is a a field manual, uh, but at the same time it's open to the public. There's no you know it's, it's unlimited distribution and all that jazz. So anybody listening, you can look up FM six twenty two. But I got into, I started reading about this developing cohesive and effective teams. And I was like, man, all this material, you know, and I'd read it before, you know, good portions of it, but I guess it wasn't clicking at the time with me of how much other people could benefit from this information. So I, 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 you know, I copied a bunch of that information, highlighted what I thought was uh, important for us to talk about today, sent it to Ed. He's reviewed it. I've looked at it. So that's what we're going to go over that today. We're going to talk about developing cohesive and effective teams. Because not only as an influencer, do you are you supposed to be influencing people to, you know, to get things done, to get after, whatever it is. But also, sometimes you got to mentor and mold groups. And you got to kind of form them into a team. Uh, kind of like taking a piece of clay and making a, a, a beautiful statue or whatever from. But you... You have to, you know, go through a whole process, but you have to understand it. So that's what we're going to go with uh, today. Ed, what do you have? I mean, right off the bat, man, like when you think about developing cohesive and effective teams, is there anything like, you know, like a word picture or, or, or painting a word picture comes to mind when you think of just those five simple words of developing cohesive and effective teams? Well, I mean, when you send it to me, Brian, of course, you know, I think about stuff like there's a lot of. Uh, I don't know about word pictures, but there's a lot of pictures out there, you know, um, Iwo Jima, that, that one right there. That's a, I think that's a pretty good one for a cohesive team, accomplishing something, you know, building up to that moment, that Iwo Jima Memorial, them raising the flag. So Mm -hmm. uh, not a word picture, but that is something that pops in the head when you start talking about building an effective and cohesive. Yeah, I can see, I can see that. Uh, I can see that, you know, and, and, and when you say that, I, in my mind, I, I see them raising the flag as an effective team. So as one, and they're, they're accomplishing a mission. And it's like that final symbolic act that kind of brings them all together and say, we accomplished this together. Yeah, I can see that, man. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, there's so many different military images where you would see something like that. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, and if you think about it, a lot of times that's also kind of like the idea of, you know, different types of teams, good cohesive teams who let's say win a championship or, or of some type of sport, or if they, um, if it's a, you know, like a team event, maybe, I don't know, um, what do they have the like the debate teams and stuff like that, right? Where they they work together, <laughs> and I can see that, man. I really can't. Yeah, and yeah. and that's why, like, when I as soon as I read that that title head, I thought, man, 
this is this is perfect. This is perfect for the Institute of Influencers and everything we kind of represent to help us continue building and growing, just like we talk about every time. Yeah, I mean, I think building an effective team just and trying to get the outcome. I mean, as a Laker fan, I hated the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> but man, what an effective team! But if even if you go back in you know the Laker history. That Laker team that wins the back-to-back championships, I mean, you know, Kareem had to submit, say, hey, I'm not the man anymore. Magic's the man. Magic had to step up and change his game. And all while, Pat Rock, Coach Pat Riley is orchestrating all this. They knew this guy is our defensive shutdown guy. That's what he does. This guy is our three-point shooter. That's what he does. Uh, what's that guy's name? A.C. Green. He grabs rebounds. Same, so go to the Bulls. Same thing. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, those effective teams understanding not just your role, but understand the roles and and the strengths and weaknesses of those around you is how you build a great and an effective uh, effective team. That's why, like when you talk about like the U.S. Navy SEALs and the Special Forces guys, that's why they train so much and they do so much over and over and over and develop muscle memory and familiarity with each other because then they know their strengths and weaknesses. So when real bullets are flying they already know how their team's going to perform before they even get into that situation. Yeah. I love the way you put that there is they're developing that muscle memory over and over and over again. So it's an instinct. Hence instinctive influencers. Ooh, instinct. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Got All it. Right. So, I mean, let's dive right into this man, right off the bat. Let's talk about, uh, the very first you know, pieces of developing cohesive teams, uh, wh- what it says here, teams are an essential configuration of how people come together to accomplish missions. In the Army, teams occur throughout every structure level of the organization. The Army as a whole it is teams of teams. Hey, and there, there's a book written about that. McChrystal wrote it, Team of Teams. That's what's crazy about it. That's why I... Yep, absolutely. Susan, as soon as I started reading that, that's what I thought about was that book. It's a good. It's pr- supposed to be a pretty good book. I haven't. I haven't read it yet, but I would like to. Um, it begins with Buddy Team. What's that? I I have it, but I have not read it. Okay, so it begins with Buddy Teams, two military members who look after each other in a variety of positions and environments. The buddy team is the most basic form of teams in the army. I mean, and we use, you're taught that at basic training. You're taught to have that battle buddy. And I mean, and it goes all the way up through the ranks. It doesn't matter what rank you are. Uh, it's it's a common phrase, and, and you probably hear it too. I don't know if you hear it much where you're at, but like I know, for instance, most of the E8s or Master Arms and First Arms, they refer to each other as battle. That's, hey, battle, what's up, right? And it's short for battle, buddy, but it's that development of that small conducive team of two-man teams uh, where I've got your back, you've got my back, and we're working together. That's all that means, you know, is that pretty much the way you see it? Yeah. And it is, it's literally the first thing that you get in basic training. It's the first thing you get issued to you is your battle buddy. That's who you're, when I went through both times, it was your bunk mate, whoever was on the, you know, if you're on the bottom bunk, your top bunk guy. Um, But that's your first real, you know, um, idea of a team is the two of you because you got to clean up your area make your bed and it's a small area so you'll be like hey if you sweep 
I'll make both, you know, I'll tighten up the beds or whatever it is. But yeah, it's your first introduction in the military to a team. And, and, you know, Ed, the, the crazy thing that people don't realize is this can work anywhere. It's just, you have to be able to trust that person. And that person has to be able to trust you. And it's learning to be able to build that trust and you creating that small bond. But at the same time, you don't want that to turn into, you know, let's just say if it's in a civilian organization where you're really close with another person and the two of you are constantly relying upon each other, helping each other out. But you don't let other people in on that, in a sense. They don't get to be a part of that little battle buddy team. Well, that is not good. That's no longer a force multiplier. That's a force divider. You want others to be able to join in also, but you should always be able to rely upon someone. Like, like for instance, I rely upon you quite a bit. We talk, we discuss things. We've been good friends now for a few years and that's amazing, but it doesn't mean I can't have other friends. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of how I think of it is I, I can, we're the close friends, but I can have other friends too. And then I'll, we'll, I'll talk to you about those other friends and stuff like that. And then we help each other out. And if I learn something from them, I'll teach you. And if you learn something from your other friends, you'll teach me. And we keep this going involving and it keeps building into a larger and larger and larger team. Yeah, no, I mean, it helps. So experiences that you can bring to the table from whoever that, that teammate is, and, and when you share those those experiences, that you're just building somebody else's uh, knowledge based off of another person's experience. So it gives you an idea, you know, of of what to do. So for instance, if somebody I work with travels someplace, and then they tell one of my friends, and then they tell me, hey, when you go here. Uh, when you go to Athens, do the boat tours. That's the best part. And that just helped me, even though I don't really talk to that person. So it's just helping each other through those uh, experiences. Mm, exactly. And then right here, it says, it is proven that a team is more effective than an individual when members work together using their unique skills, experiences, and capabilities. Yeah, by far. People who think they can do everything to uh, solo, I'm sorry, but after a certain amount of time, it's not going to work. You may, you somebody may be really good for a little while, but mm, after a while, and, and you know what, you know, what I like to think about, and I'm not sure if you, you care for them much, but right now, you know, the Baltimore Ravens are unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, I, I just watching them, I, I literally love watching them. I really do because I love how they play. They play together as a single unit and as a team. Same thing with those those 49ers. I mean, both teams. I'm not fans of either team, but I'm I'm such a fan of football. I watch them and how they synchronize and uh, you know, just with the with uh, Lamar Jackson in the backfield with he's got Mark Ingram and then he also has RG3 and just how that's all working out. I'm just like, wow, <laughs> you know, they came together as one. I, I know you laugh because, you know, you guys had RG3 and then he's, now he's gone. But but what I'm seeing, though, it's just if if any one of those any of those people decided to not work any longer to be a team and they started to be an individual, those teams would fall apart. Guaranteed. It's just you can see it in everything they do. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what like I said. That's, again, understanding strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I laughed because you said Jackson and you said RG3 and Jackson plays like RG3 did as a rookie. And then the knee thing, the mm -hmm. difference I noticed is that Jackson will actually get out of bounds or throw the ball away. But either way, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, as long as they continue to work as a team, I mean, hopefully they can uh, represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. 
<laughs> hey, I, hey, man, you know, whatever happens, happens. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, so, hey, let's <laughs> continue on. Says, <laughs> yeah, that was a jab. I felt it. Oh, my friend, my battle buddy stabbed me right in the ribs. No. Uh, <laughs> Army leaders are charged with developing others in conducting team building. We could switch that up any way you like. It could be leaders and conducting team building, or it could be it could be influencers are charged with developing others and conducting team building. That's the point is there has to be a central focus, somebody who's going to bring them together. Because sometimes people may really have good talents and they know how to use their talents, but they don't know how to do it conducively within a group of people. And that's why you need someone outside. But what I like is it's coming up here. And I think you're going to like this too, Ed. Holistic leader development programs contribute to unit cohesion, resilience, and agility by producing leaders and teams that are creative, lifelong learners, adaptable, and capable of exercising mission command. I believe you may have said my catchphrase in there somewhere, Brian, the lifelong learners. Uh, But yeah, it's, I mean, of course I like it. It's got lifelong learners in there. I've talked about being creative. I really like for people to, you know, leaders to be creative, especially when building the team. I mean, we've even talked about on the show, the resilience piece. Yeah, this is a good, actually, it's probably one of the best statements so far in the article, but we're only in the first paragraph. (laughs) I like the idea too, because it talks about basically holistic leader development programs. And that's just telling people, I mean, you... So this this particular manual is not going to give you a full program on what you need to do. It gives you outlines and guidelines of, hey, this this is what is expected of a leader. This is how you need to become a better leader. You know, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't say, okay, do this, and then once you achieve this, move to this, and then once you achieve this, move to this. You you have to you have to feel it out, you, and, and you have to be able to read the situation because sometimes maybe you can skip one through five because your organization's already. St- got the the whole development piece and you need to move on through six through 10 to kind of enhance that. But that's the whole point is understanding that there has to be some type of development program, no matter what, you know, for instance, we do, we've been doing the uh, the non-commissioned officer professional developments every month before I showed up, there wasn't really any going on at my level for the junior NCOs. Well, that's something that we needed to work on. And now that we do it and it's brought people together at least once a month where we discuss things and we do things to further understand what it takes to be a better leader. It builds a unit cohesion, just like it says. It also helps with resilience and the agility. But we get creative in that training to help build better lifelong learners so they're able to be adaptable and capable of meeting the command and what they need. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just, I really enjoyed, I, I think you're right. I think that was probably the best sentence we've had. I mean, the best little piece yet. And it's only in the first paragraph, but there's plenty more to go on. What do you got, brother? Yeah. I mean, so to me, this is it kind of uh, all encompassing, right? Like it brings in everything. I think really important there too is the, the mission command. Cause I think that leads us into our next little section uh, talking about understanding the commanders or having a shared understanding. So to, when you're developing that team, that shared understanding, that's important in building a team because now we all know what the goal is of the team that we need to work towards. So I, I think that that last little blurb really leads nicely into the next section. 
I think you're right, Ed. And, and when you said that, that shared understanding, it if everyone knows what is supposed to be going on, then they know where to go from. But if they don't know what's supposed to be going on, it's just like, you know, it's just constantly work, 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 work. And it's, you don't really kind of know where you're supposed to be going. It, I don't think you don't see a goal, like you said. And if there's no real goal, then it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like, you know, you're ever accomplishing anything. You, you just, con- you just feel like a hamster, you know, on that hamster wheel, just constantly running, running, running. And the, and the wheel is going and going, but it's, you're going nowhere and you're just getting exhausted. That's it. And I, I definitely agree with that. It's, you know, our commander just recently, um, a few, well, I'll say a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, he, he put it out in our little company training meeting that he wanted to start to see people developing what are called smart goals. And if you don't know what smart goals, I'm going to tell you right now, look it up. I want you to look that up. Um, and you can find out, just type it in Google smart goals. But what it does is he wants to see, see smart goals, uh, for every quarter within each one of the sections or platoons that even the privates that get there, that they're learning, hey, this is our SMART goal for this quarter. And then quarterly change those and it'll help them develop in certain areas. And, and, and he gave him a great example. Like right off the bat, he's like, hey, listen, if you don't know what to do for your section in the job you do, obviously we all have different jobs, so we can't have the same SMART goal all the time. He's like, start with something easy that everybody understands in the Army. PRT, just build a smart goal there of what do you, you know, basically be specific. And, and it, you know, there's all the, the whole part of the acronym. But to do that, that's exactly you know, that shared understanding. Hey, this is where we're moving to, you know. Uh, you want to you get a little bit more there of what, what we're talking about? Well, I'm actually intrigued by the whole smart goal thing uh, that you're talking about there, Brian. But, you know, I, I do remember like um, some very early thing I would try and it's still a smart goal is I used to have like the go home list of course right especially on Friday these are the things that we as a team need to accomplish to go home and I wouldn't be like all right Brian you're gonna do this you're gonna do this I really would decentralize it and be like all right these are the things we need to we need to get done today in order for us to go home and then uh, the soldiers would check off as they did things and then I would go back and inspect, you know, to make sure they were done properly. But it's kind of, I think, what you're going with with smart goals is kind of a take on it's something uh, for them to achieve, and it's driving them towards something. So they want to get off early. They know they just need to complete that list. So it was kind of something I used early, very basic kind of sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well. And since you asked, I'm definitely, you know, because obviously you're my battle buddy and I would definitely help you out in any way uh, to talk about something like this. Because I personally, I think this is right up your alley, Ed, because uh, I know it is up mine. And I want to think about this also for the new year when I, we go into the new year, because I believe in goals, not, not you know, the New Year's resolutions stuff. I, I actually want to do, to do goals throughout the year. So here it is. So basically, SMART goals is an acronym for S is specific, M is measurable, A is attainable, R is relevant, and T is time-based. So when we say specific, your goal is direct, detailed, and meaningful. All right, so you, you, you know exactly what it is. Uh, when we talk about measurable, your goal uh, is quantifiable to track progress or success. So there is some type of, you know, there's waypoints, and there's an end at some point. Uh, attainable, your goal is realistic, and you have the tools and or resources to attain it. 
then is relevant. Your goal aligns with your company mission or your personal mission or you know whatever it is. So it actually it's something that you would be you could possibly doing anyway. So what you do is you just attain a, a um, you attach a smart goal to it, and then it's time based. Your goal has a deadline, and with that, you know you think about it every year, Ed. People do New Year's resolutions, right? And a New Year's resolution, most of the time, people break it within the first, I think, I want to say the study was 12 to 15 days or 18 days or something like that. Whereas this is like, all right, I want to do X, Y, and Z by this date. And you hold it. That's why I think like, for instance, SMART goals is definitely something I know it's down your alley because uh, the personality you have and how you like to look at things as in, okay, I'm achieving kind of like, it's kind of like little rewards you get like when you play a video game or something, you're like, oh, I achieved that trophy. Awesome. You know, but (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, what do you think about the SMART goal? Yeah, no, that's kind of, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I didn't know it was an acronym. Now I do. So and I understand kind of the yeah. acronym, but it makes sense, right? Like I love it. Yeah, it make it makes uh it makes sense. And you could use it in a number of ways. You can mm-hmm. use this professionally. I can see where you could use this in the gym, you can use this. Um, you know, it, even with the example I gave, if you really think about it, um I gave them here's what we need to get done. It was specific, these are the things. We knew if we had success. So I hey, we need to complete you know, a 10% inventory. Well, they know that's measurable. I can measure that. I've done 10% inventory. It's something you can do in a day. Not, not too big a deal. It's relevant because we had to conduct them anyway. So, and they knew, Hey, this is what's going to get you to go home. So maybe I didn't give them the exact deadline, but they knew they weren't going home until it got accomplished. So yeah, I, I like that. I've never, I've honestly, I've never seen that before. So I took one of our whiteboards. We have uh, the easels with the whiteboards. And after the commander brought it up, I, I mean, I was when he brought it up, I was say I didn't know that's what he wanted to do. We hadn't really discussed it beforehand. Um, we had been going through a lot of different training and stuff. I guess he must have thought of it um, while we were going through that training. We didn't really talk about it, which it's kind of weird because usually we talk about everything. And he brought it up, and I was just I, I literally want to kind of like reach over and put my arm around him, like. That's that's what I, that's my boy, you know that type of thing. You know what I mean? Like you're growing up, bit little guy, but because um, obviously you know <laughs> captains are much younger than us uh, older yes. E8s. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, but when he came up with that, I was just I was really happy with it because I thought I'm like, man, that's it's almost like he and I are on the same kind of wavelength of wanting to get things done, and I I feel like. Ed, that that is exactly that whole idea of building a cohesive and effective team. Because that if that's the way I think, and then he's thinking like that too, you you can see almost how how much it meshes together to help bring others along, and it's it obviously meshes up with what we've already talked about in here. So, but yeah, I just I really thought it was great. Uh, so let's hey let's move on here, Ed. Let's I want to see what you got. Uh, in the rest of that paragraph about the whole creating a shared understanding. Creating a shared understanding. According to this article, it's the first step and the most important one in developing a team, right? So basically, when you talk about shared understanding, obviously in the military, we have a commander's intent. You know, it usually gives us that. But it's it's uh, gives us a purpose that we can all get behind. If we have a shared understanding of what we're trying to get done, then we as a team can come together and work towards it and that's when really the leader in that organization or team can start identifying strengths and weaknesses uh, and putting those proper people, talent management, on those things. 
And uh, the reason I say the leader, because that's who that's who mm-hmm. the, the leader is, the one that, you know, according to, to this sets the tone and they're they're setting the tone in a team focused climate. They let under members understand how they contribute. So this is what I like. I like for my soldiers to understand big picture. So this is what you're doing. And this is what it's doing for the organization, because when they understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, they work harder. They take better ownership of it. In my, in my years of leadership experience, when you just tell a soldier, Hey, go do this. And they don't understand the why, which we've talked about many times. And we've talked about Simon Sinek's great book, but that they're not going to take ownership of something. They don't understand why they're doing it. They just think you, you know, Oh, I'm just cutting the grass to be cutting the grass. They don't realize that, Hey, you're cutting the grass because the contract didn't get completed. And we don't have contractors to come do that. And, you know, we got the president's coming to the base this week or whatever the reason is behind it. But when they understand that, that helps. And that helps them understand what they're doing, why they're doing it. And the overall goal or intent that that's why that's important because the goal of team building is to improve the quality of the team and how it works together to accomplish a mission. And I, I just think that letting them understand the mission is just a huge factor in that piece. Oh yeah, man. I, I love that you, when you brought in the why piece in exactly what it is, it helps people identify exactly where they are within an organization and how they affect the overall goals. And when they can see that, they do. I mean, you're, you're exactly right, man. They tend to take a little bit more ownership and understanding. And sometimes, actually, I'd say in a lot of cases, I've seen it where people go a little bit further above and beyond because they want to make it better. That that same idea that we've talked about multiple times, Ed, where uh, leave the organization better than you find it. Well, when they understand the why, they tend to do that. Uh, you know, and you brought up you brought up the military side. Well, let's let's take a civilian side of things. If Joe comes into the the office every day and files reports, and then goes home every night, and comes every day, files some reports, and then goes home every night, and comes in every day, files reports, and go home every night. Well. I, I'm pretty sure Groundhog Day takes over with that guy and it just becomes mundane. He be, um, he becomes uh, displeased and and it just causes all kinds of different issues. Maybe then he puts on weight because he's eating out and he doesn't care anymore. I mean, things can spiral out of out of hand. But if, if he understands that every time he does one of those reports, it's helping save lives by doing this, he's going to put his heart into it a little bit more. Or every time he does this report, it's going to help uh, uh, Betty down the way who deals with this other thing to be able to do her job better. It, sh- it helps him realize, hey, I'm helping somebody else. You're giving meaning is what it is to me. When you give the why, you give them meaning. And if you give them meaning, it helps them be a little bit more conducive. You know, it talks about a sense of team, building an effective, high quality team. The goals of team building is to improve the quality of the team and how it works together to accomplish the mission. So that's the goal of the team building. So if, if we understand like when we do team building events, team building event is to kind of help them to improve the quality of the team, not so they can uh, they can be, I, well, it is for more performance, yes, but at the same time, I mean, if you don't have a good quality team, it doesn't matter. They're not, I mean, they're going to probably, 
perform as well as if they weren't, you know, that, that, you know what I mean? It's just, they have to be able to see everything together and, and the understand of the why. Hey, this next part right here, I pulled this from a different chapter when I was, because I was going through, man, I mean, I went through this whole, uh, you know, the whole book of 622 and I just kind of like, I, I browsed through a lot of stuff, but then there was a lot of stuff. It just like pulled me in, Ed. And this next one, I really, really liked it. And I thought to myself, if that doesn't explain to me something about instinctive influencers, then then I'm off track and I need to quit doing this podcast with you because I really felt like it was it kind of hit the point. It talks about leaders with a mindset, clear-cut vision, and a passion for developing others, themselves, and teams are the most important elements of a successful leader development program. They capitalize on every opportunity. You know, Ed, every time we talk, man, it's like we come up with some of the coolest conversations. Um, you know, before we got on the show, we talked about your little trip and everything. And it, I mean, as we were talking, I even told you, I said, oh, man, we got to talk about that on the show because it was a learning moment for you and your family that others can share and learn from. And, we, and it can be capitalized upon to become an opportunity for somebody else to be a part of. I mean, and that's why I said like, when I when that two six there, that leaders with a mindset, clear cut vision, and a passion for developing others, that to me speaks all day long to what the instinctive influencer brand is. So the one thing I will caution you about this one, this is the one thing that always concerns me, and I and I've seen it in our career field over and over. So yes, leaders with a mindset, clear cut vision, and a passion for developing others, themselves. That's my problem. Uh, that I've, I've seen because uh, you have those leaders that are so wrapped up in themselves that they neglect all the other stuff in that sentence. Yeah, it is. But I've seen the opposite. So, you know, I've also seen the ones that are so focused on having a clear cut vision and wanting to develop others that they ignore themselves and they don't realize that until people around them are starting to get promoted or, and, you know, and are moving into better positions and they're still doing the same thing. So that themselves is it's a, a balance uh, or a dichotomy between too much and not enough. You have to find mm. that delicate. And I really think it's a thin uh, line. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've seen people who neglect their, their duties because they're doing college classes during the duty day for, you know, to better themselves. Well, I got it. We all want to do that. But at the same time, you also have responsibilities to the organization. So that that's the one thing with this statement that I just always that themselves, because I've had a lot of my leaders who were very focused on just that. Yeah, man, I that's a good point, man. I love that idea. I mean, that you're basically saying, hey, there's a trinity there, and we need to try to keep it that way. If this was a triangle, you know, to make sure it's not all lopsided and messed up, we got to make sure that it's all equal across the board, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be a in fact, in fact. That's a good way to even envision it is as some kind of you know as a triangle. But like I said, there is a balance. There is that you can find. It's just. Uh, and I really don't think that junior leaders tend to find it right away. You know, we've talked about before people who spend extra time at work and they neglect their time with their family. And so, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like they're taken away from their family. They haven't found that balance yet. When you find that balance, uh, then that's all, um, amazing thing. But you also have leaders um, who are so focused on my family, my family, my family, 
that they neglect their responsibilities at work. So, uh, again, it's a balancing act. It is. Which I think leadership in a whole is anyway. And then it can be a struggle, Ed. It really can be. I mean, I because I can tell you, I, you know, doing school, working where we did at the academy, and then also spending time with my family, I there was some – I felt like I – I don't know, you know how, because I know you you lived there uh, close to the academy, and you were doing all pretty much the same stuff I was. But at sometimes I just felt like I was burning the candle at both ends, and I really needed a break at some point. So, and, and I, I think I was fortunate enough to be able to. And my, my, I think my wife was the stronger one in the in the situation. She helped with a lot of it and she kind of kept me into things too you know like no hey we're gonna go do this and i'm like uh yeah that work-life balance thing you know i know michelle she's absolutely a strength in your relationship <laughs> thanks buddy <laughs> that was so sweet of you so <laughs> we'll move on but i just i really did like that but i you know what it's here we go again man it's like just another conversation between you and i and you brought up a great point that's like you know what? I never noticed it. I mean, I noticed it, but I didn't notice it when I was reading it. I was thinking of, I was thinking of it as a whole. And you were so right that there are some people they are so lopsided, you know, that they put so much in just others and they don't deal with themselves or they, they put so much in themselves and they don't deal with others or the team is the most important thing. So you individuals, you're not as important as a team. Well, no, it's like all of it has to be important together. So I love that, man. That's awesome. Uh, let's move on here. And it talks about building and maintaining teams that operate effectively is essential to both internal and external organizations. To do this, a continuous process of enabling a group of people to reach their goals and improve their effectiveness through leadership and various exercises, activities, and techniques. Building, maintaining teams that operate effectively. You know, one of the things I was taught, Ed, and you may or may not agree with this, Part of building uh, teams that operate effectively, I find that is once they can, if they don't need me, I think they're working effectively, you know? Um, And then, okay, there'll be the occasional questions here and there. And that's understandable because maybe I have information that they don't have or I have knowledge um, through years of experience that they may not have. But in many cases, if if I can give a, a team or a small group of people, uh, this mission and give them a, this is what's expected of this mission and they can run with it. To me, I feel like that's kind of like, that's it. Hopefully it's effective. Uh, but it talks about doing it internal and external to organizations. Um, that, so I guess you could say uh, it's maybe how the team works within my organization and then how they're kind of reflecting that outside the organization for others to uh, emulate or how they work with those um, would you say you have something actually you probably do have something different from that because of what you currently do now yeah so when you talk internal external i mean you're you i think you're right but um so for what we do we we set the theater for forces that come into europe to do an exercise or a rotation right so we have to work together as a theater sustainment unit to do that so we're internally we work together but then we also have to work externally. So we have a sustainment unit. We have a contracting unit. We have MPs, military police. So you, that team has to work well and then be able to reach outside and bring those other pieces in. So when we're traveling and we're planning things, we don't just travel just 
those of us in one section. We travel with like, honestly, like a lot of times because we do some logistics of it, we're, we may have six or seven different sections from across, you know, Germany and traveling together. So when that happens, that's that internal and external working together because we're supporting that customer unit. And so that teamwork is what makes the dream work and gets that customer <laughs> unit into Europe without a lot of head headaches. <laughs> oh, I love that. Teamwork makes the dream work. It's like, uh, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about that the other day too. Um, I was going to bring it up to you about the, uh, the posters. Um, I was going to use it later, but it's funny that you brought it up. I didn't even say it to you. Uh, you know, the old post, the motivational <laughs> posters you see everywhere. I remember, I remember the first time I saw one, I, th- I want to say I was like in middle school and it was like in one of the locker rooms or something, you know, teamwork makes the dream work, but yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> no, no. Uh, How many times have you had a coach or something given a, you know, the halftime pep talk and they always come to that one. Teamwork makes the dream work. Like I've heard that so many times playing sports. You know, it's it's funny. It, it does. I know I've heard it, but it doesn't stand out to me any one time. You know what I mean? Almost like I know it was said, but I don't recall like a specific person saying it at a specific time that had so much meaning to me that it kind of overwhelmed me. I don't remember at all. I don't recall that. I do remember some profanity that was said at me once, though. But the, we'll, we won't talk about it today. <laughs> we always remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, let's get into these three qualities, right? It talks about. So it says three qualities that measure good teamwork. And, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on these three qualities before we get too far in. But it's identity, cohesion, and climate. So when you hear those, Ed, I mean, what's what are you thinking about when you say when you think of identity, cohesion, and climate? Well, I think I was once in a, a platoon. I felt like we were a pretty, actually a pretty good team. And we were thrown together. Well, I was thrown into an existing team who, you know, they won several land nav streamers and whatever. Oh, uh, I remember but, that team. Yeah. <laughs> but so you get in there and you understand the mission. That's that team identity. You understand what we're trying to get done, right? And then we were just cohesive. So our personalities just meshed well together in that team. We became cohesive rather quickly. And then, of course, you know, um, the climate overall, the climate was okay. There was a little, I thought it was a little micromanaging sometimes, but the climate, <laughs> the climate was okay. But it was actually, it was probably one of the, uh, eh, I, I was on some good teams when I was at the NCO Academy. Uh, but that one and my first platoon team were probably two of the best teams that I was on while I was there. I've had some good teams there too. So, you know, not knocking them, but, mm-hmm. uh, but that, yeah. So you have to understand the identity of your organization. What are we here to do? Who are we? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's, I, I really think they feed off each other. So once we know who we are, the cohesion can come because we all know what we're after. And then that fosters that climate. Uh, where we work together, it, it would be nothing for one of us to say, Hey, uh, Steve, I got something to do. Can you take my class tomorrow? And, and honestly, Steve would, I mean, he taught for everybody and he would go in there and he would teach that class. Like, uh, like he was supposed to anyway, it was just how that team worked. It was a, it was a pretty good team. And when you said that, Ed, that, that came to mind, uh, when you say cohesion, 
you know, he would, you'd say, Hey, can you come teach my class? And he would come in right there. Cohesion. It's mutual trust, cooperation, and confidence. So you had, y'all had mutual trust. If I ask you to take this class, I didn't have to stand there at the door and wait for you to come into the classroom so I could leave to make sure you were there. We had trust that somebody right. would take care of us, you know? Um, and then it, it talks about with the cooperation, somebody else was cooperating with you to take on that, that task that may have been in that responsibility that was yours, but you had another engagement you may have had to do. And that person, they were being cooperative because they know you would do it another time for them, which continues that trust building. Right. And then that confidence, the confidence is, that's just another piece of that whole trust. And that's what I say. I think it all falls back on the trust, but because I'm confident that my team is going to perform with me being absent from them. Right. So I, I really, I mean, the cohesion part to me of those, I like that one because I really think it helps build the identity and helps with the climate and the climate, you know, as well as I do, and you've been in organizations where the climate was not so conducive. And then other times where you thought to yourself, why couldn't every unit function this way? Um, I, I mean, go ahead. Yeah. So the example I gave Brian, I literally went from that platoon to another platoon and it was an exact different climate because you had a tyrant at the top wanted to yell and scream at everybody you had lazy people so that built you know that that one guy being lazy and never leaving his office that hurts the cohesion because now you have you know you have two guys doing all the work instead of three guys doing the work together and i say guys it was guys so uh but yeah mm-hmm. so i got to see both ends Right there in a matter of, what, two months, I got to see mm. both sides. And the, the really the great thing about it was I then went and worked for Jeff Watts, who we've had on after mm. that. And then so from those three platoons with three different senior leaders, I was able to develop who I wanted to be as a senior leader when I took my platoon right after working with Watts. And then I was able to see how to help form that team. I wanted to build a cohesion. I had one person that people just didn't want to work with. Eventually I got them to, because that was what it was all about. Like we're trying to be the best platoon here. Uh, honestly, I use exactly, one of the platoons as the common enemy for land navigation. Hey, third platoon thinks they're, <laughs> you know, they're hot stuff with this land navigation. We are better than them. So let's beat them. And I use that yeah. uh, common enemy which is an effective tool for a team uh, to motivate a team, a common, a common goal, a common enemy is, is an effective team. I've seen it work for first sergeants who made themselves the common enemy on purpose. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, those, those really across about four months, it really taught me how to be a senior uh, leader in that organization. And, and it was a matter of going, you know, great to not so great to pretty darn good to my platoon being better than third platoon. Hey, you know what? And I will tell you this, my friend, <laughs> as I sit here and I stare at my little uh, my little pen holder that has the date and stuff on it, tells me the pay <laughs> tells me how to pay the bill. I think to myself, I mean, just when I look at that, I think what what a better person to uh hmm. to relinquish that throne for I think it was like one cycle, whatever, you know, wasn't much. But to relinquish it, uh and that's uh, to me 
I think that still that that kind of builds on that larger team though too because it, now it creates that competition, right? And that to, I yeah. I was just talking with somebody the other day, and we were talking about PRT, right? And we were talking about how if people got more competitive with PRT amongst the groups, maybe it would be more fun too. Like if people actually competed, you know, and not in a, like a stupid way. I'm talking about like like you know, hey, I you know just. I'm going against you. We're battle buddies and I'm going to try to beat you, stuff like that. I felt like, I think in the same manner, we kind of developed more as a team, as as the seniors too, where we were competitive with each other and the climate was better because now you actually liked being around. You know what I mean? It wasn't, although there are some people that if they're too competitive, you just want to like skull drag them or something, but you know, hey, that's okay. (laughs) Um, right, Right here, Ed. It talks about an engaging environment is one where team members desire to work together on a required mission. They feel a sense of self-worth and they are accomplishing something more important than they are. That That's exactly what you were saying. They're, y'all were accomplishing something more important than the individual person. Yep. No one man is bigger than the team. Exactly. Or woman. And, and to tell you the truth, I... It falls back on I, all this falls back on the leader. It really does in, in the development of the team. If if they can't see through certain things, right? If they're not looking for, okay, what is my team's identity? What what is the identity here? Okay, are they cohesive? What's the climate among them? If you you have to be able to see that to be able to continue on. If you cannot see that, you may have really critical problems within that team that have to be dealt with first before you can actually accomplish missions. Now, does the, I mean, you know, as well as I do, Ed, that doesn't mean the mission stops, but it does mean that something's got to be adjusted and worked on to create the engaging environment. Yeah. Well, engaging environment is, is for me, for Ed, that's a motivator. I, I like an environment like that. I think I thrive more in an environment like that. Uh, I, I like to be involved and it is, it really is. You feel good about accomplishing something team wise. It's the same. I really, you feel, I feel good when my team accomplishes something I did when I was a, uh, you know, just the member of the team. I felt good if my team accomplished something uh, and, and I was the leader of the team. So you, you do it. It drives you a little bit. I think it does anyway. Exactly, man. And, you know, um, within that same section, they had like this little thing. So within uh, those of you listening within 6-22, there's a lot of little excerpts, right? And you'll you'll see these throughout. They're usually discolored or whatnot. It's just added stuff that maybe people said or just further knowledge for you to go. And they had this one and it was just titled team building. And it said from a first sergeant. So a first sergeant had said this and they, they posted it in it. But team building is a vital part of the army because soldiers need to feel as though they are part of a team. If they are going to be willing to fight and die for a teammate in their country, soldiers need to learn their position and responsibility within that team. That is the critical part. It's the fact that, you know, I know that Ed's got my back. I got Ed's back. And there's that, that falls right back on that identity, that cohesion and climate. And do I trust that Ed's got my back? Does he trust that I have his back? If we can't accomplish the small things together and have that cohesion and that cooperation and whatnot and, and have the confidence that we need, we're not going to accomplish the big things together whatsoever. So and that's why I said identify it first and then we can continue on. Well, 
I mean, Brian, that's why I think the basic training, basic combat training is designed the way it is. Because if you think about it, we it's mass punishment. And everybody's always like, why am I getting punished when, you know, uh, Brian was the last one on the relay? Well, that's what mm-hmm. it is. It's that team building, that unity. Um, if you ever read any of the stuff about SEAL training, right, the boat teams, mm-hmm. right? The oh, weak yeah. guy on the boat team is not the only one getting punished. The whole boat team's getting punished. And, and that's that team building because now you want to do better and you want to accomplish something more and something bigger than you and your your individual needs. So I think that's why basic combat training is designed the way it is, honestly. Mm. Oh, I agree with you. And you, you know, a, a question I like to ask, and I when I hear when I hear people, because you know as well as I do, it uh, when a team starts to crumble or fall apart, there's a lot of finger pointing, right? One of the questions. I like to ask is, well, what did you do to help this team, to help that person? What did you do to help that person within this team to help uh, you all get past that? Well, I try, you know, I, I was doing my part. Well, what's your part? Tell me what your part is. What What is your part that made the team better? Or did you turn this into a bunch of individual events that you collectively put together and said it was a team? Because that's what happens, you know, where you'll have a bunch of individuals. They're doing their individual whatever it is, yeah. but we're saying, oh, we're doing a team thing. No, you're not really a doing a team thing. You're just doing your individual thing saying that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then the so for the leader side of that team, that you have to identify that. You have to see that and be able to recognize it, and then you have to be able to adjust uh, how you are doing things to overcome that individual. You got you to gotta get the buy-in that there, it's more than just you. We're not just talking about it's just not Steve. It's more than that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the very next the very next uh, little part here, man, it says teamwork fosters open communication, improves professional relations, and contributes to unit motivation and building trust. And there's it. There it is again. Trust. I'm telling you, trust is a huge thing with teams. I mean, open communication. Can we communicate what's going on here? You know, improves professional relations. And I've, I've met people, buddy, that I truly did not trust them as a professional. I've met others that I thought to myself, why? Why, have, why don't I have more people around me like this? And then but at the same time, when I said it earlier, and you agreed, obviously, there, when you were talking about the leader identify, I, I've asked myself, is, all right, what am I doing to help make this better? You know, when, when, like if it's if it's one of these, you know, if it's, it's not a good team, they're not being cohesive and stuff. And, you know, what am I doing professionally to help build this relationship between everyone? Right here, Ed. Knowing the elements of effective teams and developing teamwork helps leaders assemble the team, orient them, create an identity, cultivate trust, engage in problem solving, manage processes, regulate team dynamics, and deliver results to the other organizations and stakeholders. I mean, that there's a lot said in that one sentence, right? We could go right to the top. Assemble the team. That's the first part of it all. So we, I've got to get the team together. So that's pretty much what we've talked about here in the past, I don't know, hour or so. But then it goes to orient them. How do we orient a team? Is there any particular way you do you, you would consider is how you would orient a team, Ed? 
I mean, for me, when I see Orient team, I'm thinking to make sure we have that, like we talked about earlier, a shared understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and achieve. I think that's Orient. Mm-hmm. So when I think Orient, you know, put them on the path that we're trying to get go. Absolutely, man. You, you're you're getting them started, man. It's kind of like you know that Orient the map. Yep. Talking absolutely. about back in uh, the old man app. Yep. <laughs> you get them started. Just get them started. Point them in the right direction and say, "Hey, see that end point down there? That's what we, I need you to." So get there. Uh, right here. Create an identity. We talked about that. There it is. Cultivate trust. And I think as a, I think as a leader, Ed, I think a way of cultivating trust is. If you're noted, if you're not, if you're not watching your people, or you're not like you know getting involved with them to where you understand what's going on and who's saying what, then you're probably not doing enough because sometimes you'll think they're working as a team, but you don't realize that hey, Smith is not talking to uh, Haley enough, and there's no no tr- <laughs> there's no trust there. But Haley and Shives seem to be clicking a lot more, and then Miller's kind of off of his own. <laughs> well, how do I get all four of these? That's crazy how I brought that up, huh? How do I get all four of these guys so they're all clicking? Well, what I need to do is I need to get these two working together. Let's say I need to get uh, Smith working a little bit more with Haley. So now they almost forcing them to work together and and become a little bit more conducive. And then I know Shives and and Haley are pretty good together, so I don't have to worry so much about that. But then I got to get this Miller guy into the fold. So I need everybody... So maybe I'll have something where they all have to work together. It's just small little pieces here and there. When we see that, we can help cultivate that trust. And we knew, hey, I can trust such and such to get this done. Ed, are are we always going to have people with the same amount of experience and understanding in in an organization? No, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, especially, I mean, no, because like we all come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different education levels. Mm-hmm. We have different experiences, you know, uh, so all those things are going to drive mm-hmm. that dynamic within the team. Yeah, exactly. Right. So understanding all that allows you to cultivate that trust to me. That's the way I see it. Um, and getting people to work a little bit more conducive with one another. And then it says engage in problem solving. I don't know about you, Ed, but I've actually taking a problem of my like it's maybe it's a professional problem of my own and then kind of threw it in the threw it in the arena sort of speaks of the group <laughs> to see how well they can process it and sometimes hey hey i'm telling you sometimes their thought process because now it's multiple brains working on a solution they come up with a better solution than i can and sometimes i like to do that um have you ever done that before well I have because then it's also driven by, uh, you know, your experiences. So you throw that problem in there that you're having, but, oh, by the way, Smith's had this before, or he's uh, been in a platoon that's had this before, and he can share those experiences, and then you can take that and be like, oh, okay, you know what? That that might work, but what if I did this from what you're saying, but I twisted and added this and – so it gives you that uh, that ability to get creative, but yeah, Smith's experience is not the same as your experience. So that that how you can approach it, and then when Smith sees that you're actually uh, validating him by using something he said, or you're taking into consideration, now you're building trust with him and yourself. 
Yeah, exactly. And and then that's what I, I think it helps build further build that, that cultivating of trust that we talked about earlier. Uh, this, that next one, it talks about managed processes. Uh, not too long ago, and I don't know if you've if you read it, the one on the green notebook, it was by General Milley, uh, where he talks about uh, his, the, the actual topic. Uh, the title of it was put your trust in people, not processes, which I agree to a certain extent. But I also like to have a foundation Basically, okay, hey, this is this is the starting point, or this is at least level. This is the minimum I expect of the group or a person is the process. Okay, so you have to be able to do the process that I have set up. You can enhance it with talents, but you have to at least meet the process. And that's like I like mm-hmm. to. I'm in earlier. You, it's funny you brought up a micromanaging thing. I think sometimes people also can see that though, as they, they think they think it's a micromanage, but instead, no, it's at least meet my process. But you can enhance it at any point if you if you can elevate it from this process to whatever. But let's at least keep it at that level to where anybody can do it, so everyone understands it. Um, I find it is it's kind of a way to get things done that's effective for the organization. Uh, that's one of the things I noticed within my orderly room uh, or a pack office that. I'm very big with them on, hey, process, process, process. How we go about a process, anybody can come in here and they can do you that job. Now, your talent may allow you to multitask, but at any time, people should be able to fall back on the process to get things done. Yeah, it's weird too. So my issue with this is I I know people who they'll tell you, I'm a process person. Our current, uh, my current general, he'll tell you, I'm a process person. I like to understand the process first. So there's people out there like that. So that's kind of interesting too, but they also aren't so, uh, you know, he's not also so attached to the process that he overlooks anything else. But yeah, it's just weird. Like I've heard people say, Oh, I'm a process person. But for me, I'm a, what works best person. If it's the process, that's great. If I can adjust the process and still get results, that's even better. As long as I'm not doing anything that's, you know, immoral or illegal and we're still getting the outcome, desired outcome, uh, to me, that's just creative thinking. And, and, you know, I do remember an army where there was a process and there was no other way. It was that process is all you were allowed to do. But, and in some things, I'm sure it's still that way, right? Like if I'm shooting a rocket launcher, there's a process to it. Let's not skip a step, but yeah. So other things, though, <laughs> other things, there are absolutely processes. And, you know, those are the things you can annotate in like a continuity book like you have for your orderly room, I'm sure. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, kind of. It's just I find it that I well, I really I, it's funny you say I don't really have a continuity book for them, but they all have their own little. So I guess you could take the, whatever it is that they normally do and put them all together and make one big one. But but yeah, it's just I don't know. Yeah. 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 That makes more sense because they're the ones doing the work not you so they should have some kind of continuity they can pass off it doesn't have to be you yeah but you know what i mean like those things are nice but the they're, at the end of the day first sergeant weber is not the one processing that leave form pfc schmuggatelli is the one who's doing the process so they need to understand it and be able to like um communicate it exactly exactly and you know you know what goes into that too, where we just talked about the processes, but you could elevate it is regulating that team dynamics, what you said earlier. And to me, regulating team dynamics falls right along the lines of talent management. 
I feel like it because you can look at the different talents and you can see where people are really good at things and people that aren't so good at things. And you're able to kind of mesh them along to help regulate them team dynamics. Because if I'm, if I have a team and they have a team, you know, they have to, they have to, uh, do a particular project together. If I keep putting Schmuckatelli on the same, and, and that person, and Schmuckatelli just sucks at doing that thing that he's been assigned, am I really helping them at all? Not so much. I'm, I'm literally kind of like uh, tying arms behind their back type situation. Instead of actually putting people in a certain position or doing certain tasks that help develop the team along w- because of their team dynamics and their talent management. Delivery results to the organization and stakeholders. So I thought, Ed, I thought I was like, when I read that part, I was like, wait a second. And stakeholders, you, you, you hardly, I, I'm curious to see how many times the word stakeholders is used in any army regulation. <laughs> I found that a little bit weird. Um, I just, I'd never seen it before because that's, that's really a business term normally. But I thought, well, I mean, we are kind of a big business, you know, which is a, which just. A, a crazy machine is what we are. But I, I thought that was kind of weird, but delivering results, period. I mean, that's the whole point of the team working together is to deliver some type of results in the end. It's not, you know what I mean? It's, building the team is not the reason for the team. Building the team is to get the job done, but there has to be some meaning behind the team too, to be able to get the job done. Yeah. I didn't even catch on to this whole stakeholder thing. I'm now I'm sitting here in my mind trying to think how I can make it make sense, but um, I'm really drawing a blank right now for military side of the house, but I do think that overall, all right, it is important. All these, this, this one sentence, like you said, it's very uh, important. Like understanding a team period is important. So there's a couple of books out there that are pretty good that um, my sister gave me one many years ago. Uh, the five dysfunctions of a team. We talked about team of teams and this is the stuff that our listeners could go and look into to help them, you know, develop, uh, develop their teams. Same thing with, uh, Oh, we did the book on the show. Great leaders have no rules. That's another one's got some good team kind of stuff in there, but I do think that you, uh, yeah, you're accountable for yourself, but you gotta be accountable for those, you know, what your results are at the end of the day. So I think that's pretty important. Absolutely, man. So right here, high-performing teams enforce high standards and hold each other accountable for their actions and their level of performance or output. That's discipline. We all day long. That's discipline, discipline, discipline. Yeah. I mean, we 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 could take that straight into a Jocko show, and he would be like, "Yep, discipline, yeah. ego, discipline." You know, and that's how I feel about it. Yeah. So you know what this makes me think of. So this makes me think of the uh, Chicago Bulls in the late 90s, the Dennis Rodman Bulls, mm-hmm. right? So high-performing. They were a high-performing team, obviously, 70-plus wins. But with, you would see Jordan yelling at somebody who made a mistake on the court, and they were holding each other accountable. Scottie Pippen might pull Jordan aside. You know, so I, when you talk about – first of all, when you t- talk about teams, great teams and history and, and sports, I mean – to me, that's one of the greatest ever in any sport Absolutely. is that team. Yep. Um, and it was because they held each other accountable. You know, the the coach didn't have to. Phil Jackson had the easiest job. You have two future Surefire Hall of Famers, and they're holding everybody else accountable as well as each other. So I, I thought that was an amazing situation for him. But that, that kind of 
to me, that's what I think of when you say talk about uh, high performing teams holding each other to a high standard. Yeah, and you know, Ed. I mean, and we could go all the way back to your Lakers too, Magic Johnson's days. I mean, that was a high performing team, and they did work as a team because you know just as well as I do. There were times where Magic scored many points and other times where he was just assisting other people to score many points because of they knew each other's role. They knew their capabilities and then they knew how to attack the other side, their opponent in with those capabilities at hand. So they're, they recognize not only they, what they are capable of, but they also recognize the opponent and their, their abilities and they were able to mesh that up. And they, that's how they they were able to, you know, do all those wonderful things and, you know, and, and be the dominant force that they were then. Yeah, they, 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 you're right. They absolutely they would hold each other accountable. They played to their strengths and weaknesses, you know, and they were fair and they, they, they never videotaped anything. Oh, stop. Performance. I mean, it all comes down to discipline performance 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 you got to have the discipline to be able to have the performance hold each other to a standard that's what it means uh then right here it continues on it talks about time management and prioritization of effort are important to self and team discipline time management and prioritization and i don't know how many times i don't know like where you work right now and how you do things um if you've had to have any types of talks with anyone about this but i can tell you for instance uh, where I'm at. And I'll, I'll go back to my, my little office of people. Uh, I walked in the office the other day and I started writing down tasks, right? And I just wrote them on the board. Uh, they have a little whiteboard in there and I just started writing things down. And I think they got the hint because now they're using it more too. But I wrote down these tasks and I put these little boxes and it kind of made me think about checklists. And I was like, oh, it's not going to be a checklist. It's, this is going to be something else. So I made these little boxes big enough to put numbers in. And I looked at it and I said, what do y'all think these boxes are for? And one of my one of my really smart little specialists, she says, uh, is it so we can put numbers in them? And I was like, yeah, good point. All right. So, And then I looked over another guy and I said, so which one do you think should be number one as prioritizing within this office to get this stuff done? And he named it. He said, well, couldn't it be this one? I said, exactly. That needs to be number one because that's probably the most important thing that's key for this mission or this task. And I looked at another guy and I said, what do you think is next? And he said something, but it wasn't what needed to be next. He says that because that was his job and he thought that that was supposed to be the very next thing he needed to be taken care of. So he kind of had that, <laughs> that, yeah, that momentary lapse of I've got to take care of my task because that's got to be the next most important thing because I'm thinking about me. And that's where I pulled him back and I was like, no, 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 no. We got to think about the team. We have to think about the team effort. Now, what would be most important for the team's effort to get done to make the place better and blah, 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 all this. And he's like, well, maybe this. I was like, that's the right answer. I said, now that one's the next one. So I'm, I'm putting numbers in this and we're going down through. And then when we got all done. I said, now that we have a prioritization, and it's funny that we're talking about this because this is, you know, it's something that I actually did before I read this. Um, now we have a prioritization. I said, how are we going to go about allotting the right amount of time within this week to accomplish this mission? And, you know, and we talked a little bit and we talked about how, you know, one person could be doing something, the other one could be doing this and, you know, and and they could use their time management or they could all be working together on another piece of it that may require more of them and all this. And it really helped them kind of see the overall thing. Sure enough, Ed, it was a task I gave them. I give them. So Monday, I didn't give it to them. I gave them on a Tuesday. 
I told them they had to have it done by Friday. Ed, they were done by Wednesday afternoon. Mm. So they literally got a task that I, I thought was going to take four days. They got it done in two. They split it in half by prioritizing and using time management, brother. Really? I, I mean, that's awesome, too. Um, yeah. I, it was so, awesome. And then, so again, we talked about it earlier. So what's the payout for them? So they have to have a positive you know, like vibe off of that. Like they feel really good about that accomplishment. You know what I mean? Um, and with great leaders such as yourself, I always find that when a soldier pleases the leader, the soldier gets more value even from that because they want to make their leaders happy. They want to build that relationship with their leaders that the leader trusts them to get stuff done. So then they get that little, you know, dopamine injection off of that as well. So that's, that's excellent. Yeah. You know, I think what helps out too, like you said right there, it's like that I know I'm doing the right thing or I'm doing things right. One of my ways is I, you know, as well as I do in the army, because we're all, we're all basically salary. So it's not like we're working longer hours to get more money. So we know there there are two primary things that keep a soldier going. It's make sure they still get paid and their time off. They love their time off. Well, I'm going to make sure they still get paid. I mean, there's, they didn't do anything they won't get paid. But soldiers love time off. You know as well as I do. And if I can, if I say, you know what? Hey, y'all did a really killer job the past few days. Today, it cut out about an hour to two hours early. Well, I wouldn't do two hours because that, that's a little bit much, but like an hour to an hour and a half early and they get to leave, that makes them happy. And they know that if they're doing the right things, they're going to get rewarded for things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. A soldier's time is very valuable. I mean, we use it as a discipline measure when they're not performing, right? Like we take, oh, yeah. first thing you want to do is try to take their time because that's what they hate. But in the same flip it, if you flip it in the same token, that's also what they value. So when you give them some time, they love that. They value that. I know I do. <laughs> oh, exactly, man. I, I love my time off, man. I mean, that's my time off is when I get to do stuff like this, where I'm doing this show. Or today, uh, my buddy and I, we went, we took another guy and we went out to um, like this market. It's kind of like a farmer's market. And as we're walking around doing stuff, we're filming footage and I'm going to piece it all together and make like a little cool little video. Cause he was like, Hey, you know, he wants, so he wants to convince his wife to allow him to buy a GoPro. And he's like, well, but I wanted to show her what I can do with this. And I'm like, well, Hey, I got a GoPro, man. I'll, I'll just film it for us. I'll put it together. And then you can show her through that video, you know, <laughs> so I'm helping him, but, <laughs> but I mean, it allows me, it allows me to, to have the time to do so when I have time off. Right. And, and that's the other thing too, right? Um, unlike civilian organizations, you know as well as I do, Ed. If if something happens and somebody gets gets in trouble over the weekend or some just something vital happens, that doesn't mean we just oh yeah I'll just take care of it on Monday or oh yeah that's none of my business. We actually have to get involved, you know. And if something happens like say today, that's going to take up the rest of my day probably, and I won't get time off to you know because I I've I'm the senior leader that has to be involved in it. It could take up tomorrow, you know, and then it could take up extra time during my week. That's, uh, that's taking me away from my actual job. So it's like you want to reward for doing the right thing and constantly encourage to do the right thing. All right, Ed, Hey, let's, let's, uh, you see that chart there. It's table one, two. I, I really like this. Um, 
I think this gives us a great idea of understanding the difference between the ineffective teams and the effective teams. How about we cover that, man? Give us an idea, you know, what ineffective teams are. So ineffective teams fail to listen to relevant input of a team member, speak despairingly about other members, Mm. fail to enforce or encourage discipline in the team, compete rather than cooperate with other team members, argue with other team members in front of counterparts or other individuals, fail to act or make decisions on issues that have implications for the team, focus more on self-interest than well-being of the team. I talked about that earlier. And give less than full effort because of low morale or lack of confidence in other team (laughs) members. This was I had this platoon at the academy. I had guys, that, you know, they, they in the beginning they, they didn't give a full effort. They had bad morale. They had been there too long. You know what I mean? Like they they had supposed to have left the academy. They were still there. Yeah. Uh, the other one didn't want to come to the academy, but he got sent there. So I had to. That was a. Uh, steep hill to climb <laughs> but these ineffective teams yeah you i've seen this uh, i've seen examples of all of them probably throughout my my career and, and i mean yeah so even when i was teaching like in the classroom you know you got your students and it was what 16 mm-hmm. 16 students and, and you have those ones that when they speak they just speak forever over and over and saying really not saying anything of value but they just want to speak and then eventually that team cuts them off so your 16 person team is really 15 people so when you talk about failing to listen to relevant input of a team member when that team member says something that's relevant they've already lost the team's uh support and and so they're saying something important, you know what I mean? And it's just uh, ignored. So, yeah, all these, I can see how all these play in various scenarios. That uh, give less effort, uh, you know, that was very important to me, just me as an individual. I think the focus on self-interest, I already talked about that. Like, uh, you know, I've had leaders that all they cared about was going to their boards and winning boards because they were getting awards to help them get promoted. And meanwhile, they weren't sending their soldiers to the boards. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, these are all really good too. I think there's probably more out there too. If we really sat down and gave it some thought, Oh yeah. Um, that, that were, would be good as signs of an ineffective, an ineffective team. Yeah. I, and I think you could take, you can almost take that as a checklist and be like, all right, so if I meet three of the eight here, I have an ineffective team and I've got to readjust fire. That's that's the way I would see it. Like if I can identify those three within my team. And but it does happen though, right? Fail to right there, the very first one, fail to listen to relevant input of a team member. That's that is that, hey, I've got an idea. I give that idea and everyone's like, dude, that's stupid. Well, hold on now. Did we did we pull apart that idea just a little bit so we can maybe maybe pieces or elements of that idea may work, right? To me, it's like not every idea is a bad one. It just may not have the elements needed to fit the problem. But maybe there are slices within it, you know, subtopics or sub areas that can help piece together a better solution. I, I mean, man, it's just yeah, all day long, man. I see um, ineffective teams. I've seen it happen. You said it yourself. 
You've seen those mm-hmm. in organizations. I've seen organizations where they get almost all those. And, and, and that, I mean, that says something. Um, but I, I would definitely use that as a checklist for me. What about those effective teams? What are you thinking about those, man? That, that's another good one. Yeah. Emphasize what is common among members rather than focus on characteristics that could cause subgroups to form. Yeah, I've been in a word. Yeah, oh, that's, that's called a click. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then now it's an ineffective team. So uh, when, when you allow those sub, once those subgroups form, it's hard to bring it back. And then, it, and we talked about that on an episode when we talked about the day shift, night shift thing. You remember that? That's a normal one for us in the military. Yeah. We do split ops like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's day shift, night shift, or, um, you know, th- just different ways we divide ourselves, but that becomes an ineffective uh, team overall. I think, Ed, and I think that falls into that. I think that falls into what you talk about with that common enemy, because you're forming those subgroups, and those subgroups become common enemies to each other, mm-hmm. and instead it rips the team apart instead of bringing it together. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely, yeah. Um, hold a shared vision about operating as a team. And we've talked about vision on the show. And today we alone, you know, we've talked about several times about the understanding what it is, the team, what's the goal? What are we trying to accomplish when we talked about, you know, the, the smart uh, acronym, that's how we can have an effective team is we have a share. We know the vision. We know where we're going. There's a reason the military has a commander's intent and is generally located at the top of the operations order. You know what I mean? So we get an order that tells us what the operation is, whose roles and responsibilities, what is, but right along the top, one of the first things is the intent from the commander for that. And and I think that helps to uh, keep the team focused, you know? Yes. Share information that may be useful to other team members so I did a degree in Homeland Security and um, counterterrorism. And this is one of those things. So th- they created fusion cells to encourage sharing of information because what they were finding is local authorities has information. You know, state authority has information. The federal authority has information. And then they start following up leads on this information. Well, they're finding out this they found out is federal is following up on stuff that the local already knows and the locals following up on stuff that the national already has. So they created like these, these fusion cells where that information can get fed and then shared amongst the team. So if you're investigating, say a terrorist attack or something, there's usually going to be some kind of fusion cell or something on the ground. And that's the purpose of it is to share information equally through all levels involved in the investigation so it's the same thing in a team we need to share information because brian and i are on a team brian's in charge of marketing i'm in charge of you know um gathering outside sources and we're not sharing information we end up doing double work and then with that when we figure that out that could cause some resentment some trust problems so to have an effective team you got to share information and we've talked about communication how important communication is before that recently actually just recently within the past week and a half where two different people working on the same exact thing did not know that the other person was working on it they come basically they come to a point where they meet almost and it's like oh you were working on that 
and uh, the other person's like, oh, wait, you were working on it? And like, oh, well, and if you think about it, that is a complete time management waste. Mm-hmm. And it's just because there was no shared information and they wasted a ton of man hours. I mean, it's just, yeah, I've seen it happen, man. Yeah. Now, this next one, I it's funny because I just did this on Friday. So I've, I've changed uh, sections I work in within the organization, but I'm still... Uh, close with a lot of people in the other section and they, they invite me to their, their functions. Uh, ensure team members periodically engage in group activities such as sports, meals, or other off-duty activities. So what they do is uh, they call it fellowship, but once a month, here in Germany, you can't go to a restaurant off base in uniform. So once a month, they tell it, put it out early. They tell, hey, here's the restaurant we're going to go to bring civilian clothes and they get together and they go to lunch. And and when you go, it's really just, you go, you eat, you chit chat. There's a little work talk, but they try to discourage the work talk so much, but those are the things that that, that's an effective uh, team. And, and then what they'll do um, because our organization is so large, we don't do the formal hail and farewells that you would have at a smaller organization. But that team does them internally. So we got a new civilian who's working with us. They bring that person in with their family and they introduce them. Where are they from? Where are they coming from? What's their background? And that helps build that effective team. And and bringing somebody into the fold early like that really, I think, is an effective method. You know what I mean, Brian? So Mm -hmm. over your career, is this something you've seen done? done? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, all the time. Um, so a uh, one of the things that we did during a deployment, uh, we did a, and it was it was kind of funny. I I enjoyed it, and I think many others did. Some people weren't weren't as happy with it because they felt like they were forced into something. But once they got to doing it, they oh this was fun. Uh, like during Christmas, uh, and I know how you feel about when you're away from your family, especially on deployment during Christmas. You're you're how you are. You kind of yeah. separate a little bit <laughs> because that's an important time for you. And we've and, and I completely understand it. Uh, but what I said was everyone's coming in uh, and I adjusted the work schedule to where everyone could be together for an hour, both sides of the team. Uh, and this was when I was, I was still a section sergeant. So I had a, I had a section of about 30, 25 to 30 people. So we all come in together and we actually, uh, a couple of weeks prior to that, I stayed late and I worked with a night shift and then also stayed with the day shift uh, for a little bit. And I had them draw names for us like a, a dirty secret santa type thing and and when you're deployed like what are you really gonna buy you're gonna buy some stuff at the p everybody knows what's at the px you know what i mean or whatever there is like little shop at or whatever they have and it was really as like put together the best gag gift you can or well, i don't think it was gag gifts i think it was actually was meaningful gifts because i got a hat and i was like oh i love that hat and then i lost that hat um i feel bad for it um i don't think he listens to the show but yeah anyways Long story short is I kind of I forced them to come together during during that time. And, you know, like we were sitting around eating snacks and goodies because some people had like Christmas boxes full of uh, um, just treats and stuff that was sent to them. Mm. And it was just it was a good old time. We even had like a little miniature Christmas tree. But it was that that kind of coming together, even though we were deployed and we had to be together anyways, we made it a fun time together. And uh, it it really was kind of fun and cool. Um, I I, mean, I had this one soldier. She didn't she didn't want uh she didn't want anything to do with it. And I was like, no, come on, you're gonna be a part of this. Um, and 
she came and she was actually happy and we talked and we we're all talking about it later and that she's that she was a part of that because it was, it was an experience it's one of those experiences it's like you, you never thought you'd ever be in it when you were young you know what i mean like that i would be in some foreign country doing this whatever and i'm sharing this crazy little christmas experience together with this group of people and you kind of like you never forget about it right yeah. i mean it's because it's and it's a team building event. It's just funny, all the smiles and laughter. And we played, a, I think we even played a couple of games too. It was kind of cool. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so for me, the best one I've ever been a part of, of course, was the Stetson or the Spur Ride uh, in the first cavalry division. But it's just a team building event. Now, there's some stuff that goes on that's hilarious, but it was a, but, but the great thing about it is with that is it's a battalion wide thing. So, uh, in a BSB, I mean, you're talking whatever, 600 people or so. And you're bringing leaders together. And they did lower it eventually to corporal, which is still a leader. But before that, it was like you had to be at least a sergeant promotable. Um, but it, what it did is you meet uh, leaders that you normally wouldn't engage with. And now they're on your team, you know, they're on your spur team, whatever. And I thought it was a really good event because of that. Like you, you build these relationships and as you're crawling through this mud and you're miserable, you're miserable with other people. And, uh, you know, it, you just, you enjoy it. And then later you just, it's one of those things that's like, this is the worst thing ever. And then later it's like, oh man, the memories though. So that, that that's one of the things I've always, I thought was amazing because there's no rank and you know, and it's other people, so that that's good. I've always encouraged just team members doing stuff together. Um, I've talked about before. I was in a motor pool. We used to play basketball every Saturday. Uh, you know, having meals, stuff like that. Those are good things to do to help build a team. I mean, even when I worked with the Ninja, we used to go to lunch uh, almost every day. Actually, uh, you know, our office would go to lunch. And just he didn't he encouraged us to get out out of the office and we would have lunch and just chat and generally not about work most of the time. And we even invited you. So we'll move on to uh, let's see, we got effective teams Uh, act quickly to promote togetherness when schisms in the group appear or morale drops. Uh, So, you, yeah, this is so there's to me sometimes. There's things that happen within a group that can become cancerous and spread rather quickly. And as a leader, it's very important for you to figure a way to act quickly, like it's saying, and and kind of help with that, Uh, especially a morale drop. I know you see this a lot when we were deployed. We've seen this where morale all of a sudden is like, like that 90 day mark. It's like morale just drops because now they're realizing like, oh, man, this isn't even halfway yet. Oh, which is why a lot of times that's when leave starts too, right? Like around that 90 day mark, uh, show appreciation and concern for team members and act as a team instead of individuals, take pride in your team accomplishments. And, uh, these all are, uh, like you said before, these could be used as a checklist to measure your team and see if you truly do have an effective team. And, uh, as I said earlier, I do definitely believe that, you could probably add to this list some other things that uh, would identify that you have an effective team. 
Oh yeah, definitely. And and you're you're exactly correct. When it says it says act quickly to promote togetherness, you have to jump straight on that. If you don't, it will just turn into a downward spiral mm-hmm. and it will just fester and multiply and multiply and then it turns into just an implosive type situation. Um, because and, and you you've seen it too, Ed, where negativity feeding off negativity, feeding off negativity and it's kind of like who can who can gripe the most and make it <laughs> out to be the worst situation. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. A hundred percent, man. And I think it's funny too, that the next one kind of, to me, it feeds into the morale. So show appreciation and concern for team members. So when that morale drops and you do respond to it, you're really building your team because you're also showing that concern for your team members. You know what I mean? Like, um, and then showing appreciation it is enough. We've talked about this many times. There's nothing wrong with telling somebody on your team, good job. Like if you play basketball, I played basketball a lot as a kid and uh, in, in, in my adulthood. And yeah, all right, now I get it. We got this whole me too thing and, and all these other rules, but no more good games, but you can say good game. You just don't have to pat them on the fanny when you do it. But it feels good for somebody to say, Hey, that was a good shot, man. Or, you know, hey, that was a clutch, whatever. You know, uh, my brother is a a bowler, like a big time, like very, very talented bowler. And when we bowl, you know, you you get a little fist bump. You you feel that because bowling is very much it's a team sport. But at the end of the day, you're up there by yourself and you can feed off of that. Now, the one thing he doesn't like right now is just funny. It came to my head while I was talking about he is very close to bowling a perfect game. He's been he's missed a couple of times, but he's getting closer. And he doesn't want people to acknowledge how well he's doing because then it gets in his head that he's that close to a perfect game. You know what I mean? Like so, if you throw nine strikes in a row, you don't want somebody saying, "Man, that was great. You're almost to a perfect game." Because you know it's some head games to it. So uh, he don't have as strong a mental game as I do. <laughs> I think that falls into the very next one. Uh, act as a team instead of individuals. Take pride in team accomplishments. That's absolutely correct. He, uh, yeah. you know, I'll even keep using his bowling thing. Like, yeah, he is very gifted. But his buddy, Dylan, who is a listener of the show, Dylan has gotten progressively better. And my brother is proud of how much Dylan improves. And they're teammates. You know what I mean? Like, when my brother first tells me about bowling, he'll say, hey, you know, uh, I did this, this, and this, but he always, he'll always follow it with, yeah, my team is in second place. We're only this many out, you know, games out of first, or it, he, he focuses on that team goal as well. So it's, it's in bowling is one of those sports too, where it's very, it's team, but it's, like I said, when you're up there on the lane, it's individual in the moment. Um, he also thrives to bowl last in the order which is what I like to do because at the end of the day, if it's a closed game and you go up there, you're it. You're, you know, the team is relying on you. So you get that sense of pride when you accomplish something to help the team win. So uh, Bowen's a good example. And my brother, like I say, is very, very gifted. I can't be, I used to whoop him too, man. Oh, I used to whoop him. But uh, so, but these are all just like, like you said earlier, Brian, you could take this, you could add to it. I'm positive of that. But these are good. This would be a good checklist for measuring uh, the effectiveness of your team. 
Oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna take that that as a picture off here. I'm gonna do a screen print on it, and I'm going to add th- just that little table straight to our closed Facebook group, just so people can see that. Because I think sometimes it's like you know we read this stuff off, but I want people to visually see this and be able to read those themselves and and really help to understand it. Because I truly believe that those are just two checklists you you should use. Uh, the ineffective teams is if you hit three, I've got problems. And then on the other side, it's like, okay, I need to try to achieve every one of these within my organization. And especially as a leader, though, and an influencer, you, this should be something that you're constantly, you, you want to be looking for also. And, and I know it sounds like, wow, man, he's, he expects us to do a lot. Well, yeah, I do. Because usually when you're that person, you're not doing all the hard work hard, hard labor type things. You do, you're doing a lot more mental type stuff, especially, especially when you're like, usually you're, you're uh, like a hair management or anything like that too. Um, or if you're leading something, you're not doing all the work yourself or you shouldn't be. That's, that's the job of the team. If you're the leader of that team, you're, you're more likely uh, getting involved, but you're also looking out to make sure we're hitting these waypoints. And I think anyone should be using just using those. those I mean, those are great points. Um, we, we have we have just slightly a slight bit more here, Ed. Um, that I'm I'm kind of excited to get into because some of it talks about uh, basically learning. Uh, but the next point I liked because it also pulled from another book that we can use called the Not Commission Officer Guide. Uh, but here it goes: the mental dimension is an often overlooked part of teaming and team building. Shared cognition of teamwork includes learning, situational awareness, or situational understanding, and critical thinking. Motivation is common to all. The leader has a role in building team capacity in each area. I love that part. But then here's the other part that came that I had pulled out of TC 22.7, the non-community officer guide. And it falls along those same lines of mental uh, the mental dimension. It talks about confidence. And this is where I was thinking a little bit about, um, I think within the, the, your situation, Ed, where you all were having the national lampoon moment, it seems, I think the confidence was there because it's, it's almost like, okay, what do I do? This is what I do. It almost like when I heard your story, it's, it took, it took place. So in, in such a small time frame. it's almost like people knew how to react and even though, like, say, like you said, one of the siblings pulled your sister and said, hey, it's not your fault, all of that. At the same time, there was a confidence building there because it was like everything went into play because people reacted as they should, right? Um, so right here, confidence. Projecting self-confidence and certainty in the unit's ability to succeed in whatever it does. Able to demonstrate composure an outward calm through steady control of emotion. Confident leaders help soldiers control doubt while reducing team anxiety. I, I've seen that happen, Ed, where the confident leader helped lower the anxiety of the team. Oh, yeah, because you can. It's easier to the confident leader is kind of uh, not a salesman, but it's kind of like that. You can sell that we're going to be okay. Like you can sell that we're going to accomplish this task or this thing uh, because you're confident that then that builds the soldiers like, well, if he's confident, I mean, I guess he knows, you know what I mean? So I, I can see that. Exactly. 
And, and I just I love that part because I really do feel like the the mental dimension is it could be an overlooked area, uh, just like it said. Uh, we we just don't realize it uh, as much, and then and then we're stuck in that. What am I? What am I doing wrong? Well, you know, what's the mental dimension look like for you? You know, what's the shared cognition? You know, you know, uh, what's the learning situational understanding? All you know, the critical thinking. What's all that? You know, um, but then let's go a little bit further here because we're going to talk about we're actually going to talk about uh, learning in general. Ed, teams that have a positive learning culture are eager to understand new areas and current situations. High-performance teams are motivated to be inquisitive, to find better ways of doing their work, to acquire new information, and to create new knowledge. Leaders can establish a culture of learning by making learning part of the team's goals. Leaders can build up beliefs in the power of learning by how they demonstrate the value of learning to them personally and how they make learning interesting. Leaders can trigger learning by calling for reflection and shared events and individual experiences. I, I had to read that whole thing because I, I I feel like man, everything that we up up to this point, I feel like everything that we've been doing with this show and and what we surround it with has to do with that also. Much like the the earlier when I was talking about you know and and you brought it to my 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 attention about the three areas and how people have to, you know, they have to basically develop others themselves and teams and all that stuff. I really feel like that particular paragraph really is kind of an essence of what instinctive influences are, because obviously, you know, you're trying to go a certain way, but at the same time, we're trying to cultivate others around us. Yeah. I think that this also plays into, we've talked quite a bit about experiential uh, learning and that's what I see here in the paragraph 125 is experiential learning. It's, and it's like not quite the definition. Definition could be probably shorter, but it's pretty much the definition of experiential learning. You know, and a good point right there. So, uh, I liked that one part says how they make learning interesting. Uh, I mean, it's, it's when it's the teachable moments of life that we take those teachable moments and people actually want to be involved and engaged and want to learn something. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like to try to learn something we talk about. I mean, how many times have we ever mentioned uh, lifelong learning and, and that's what builds the team though. The team's going to build and learn and they're going to have an experience and they're going to be like, okay, let's try something different. And you as the leader, that's your job to cultivate that and kind of guide that, learning towards whatever your shared understanding mm-hmm. of the goal is. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, I mean, we have we have just a slight bit more here, Ed. Really not that much to talk about. Um there are some skills and characteristics of adaptability, but we I don't really want to cover those at this point because I think those are actually would be a little bit better for another show. But I did want to talk about this last point, this very last point. Uh it's the last sentence I have highlighted there. I felt like kind of like that was the that was like that finale of where things go. Uh, and it really just is asking questions and sense-making are valuable processes for teamwork. Sense-making is a process of creating meaning of an experience through discussion. Now, does that not talk to you about experiential learning? Yeah. I mean, I, ever since I heard experiential learning, I, it's just, it's so valuable. And we were doing it for years and years without even realizing it. 
Um, I've never really thought of it as a team thing until prepping for this show, though. Exactly. But it is funny, though, when you think about like how, for instance, you and I, we sit here and have a conversation before the show even starts. And I really feel like I took something from that. Like I've learned some things. I mean, just for the fact that, you know, I learned that how Airbnb stands by their brand like they do. And they are they have a tremendous customer service. Now, I don't know if many other people have ever used Airbnb before, but it can be a little costly sometimes. Um, but it's almost like it's worth it because it's like a, a sense of mind. But then again, I found a cheaper place. Uh, it was, I had to go to a ball and it was up in Seoul. And I got a place for $62 a night where everybody else was playing anywhere from 120 to 210 a night for their rooms that they were staying. And I'm just like, oh, wow. I paid 62. <laughs> I feel great. And the place was really kind of cool. It was right near the subway and all that stuff. So transportation was really available. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, that, but that's what I'm getting at. It's like, you know, we had that shared, exp- we have shared experiences. You have your Airbnb experiences. I have mine. It's like, we can learn from each other. And now does that, I mean, does that develop some type of crazy team dynamic or anything like that? No, but that's just a form of, you know, sense making and, and that value and what could be considered a valuable process of, you know, creating better teamwork within, you know, an organization. It's just the fact that we're communicating and you have certain information and now I have it. And now if I'm working with one of my soldiers and they bring up something dealing with that, now I can transfer that same knowledge on. Yeah. I mean, like I said, Airbnb is amazing. (laughs) Um, The experience but, you know, like, I didn't know that they would stand by it like that. So that was something I learned through experience. Yeah. Experiential learning, lifelong learning. Pick a, pick a term. <laughs> but that's something I learned through experience. Uh, and it worked out very well. I didn't expect them. I Honestly, I always thought that they got paid straight to the person. I didn't know that it was held or anything like that. And so that was an interesting experience. But those are the things that make us who we are, those experiences. And then when we can share them, that's what makes us a influencer. And, uh, and then in a team environment, that's what helps uh, cultivate that team. Yeah. yeah and, and there's not a lot of jobs out there, Ed, where a team isn't needed. You know, uh, most jobs, I mean, I don't know many where you don't need other people within a team. I mean, I guess there's there's probably some types of jobs where you work from home and you work on a laptop and you just answer phone calls and turn in reports or whatever. I mean, I guess. Uh, but And there may be others where somebody's off working by themselves somewhere, but it's just, I don't know. I just, I see in anything you do, a team normally is needed because, I mean, you think about it. More than one brain, more than one set of eyes, you know, more than one set of ears, it just those, those particular things to me help make things better just in general. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've, uh, we've covered a lot about team and, and team building and, you know, building, uh, cohesive and effective teams or, or developing them. Um, with that, obviously we always come out with a task right after we're done. And this one is really about helping develop a cohesive and effective influencer team and and, an instinctive influencer team. And it's, it's a very simple one. It, you know, it's help build this instinctive influencer team by sharing what you've learned here or share the show. 
just share this show is all you need to do and share it. And then let us know um, if you did so, you know, uh, when I post this on the close Facebook group, which is found at 101 influence on Facebook, search for it, join the group, you just got to answer a couple questions. And then you can find this particular question, it'll be task, uh, episode 53 task. And you just, hey, give us a thumbs up that you know, you shared the show. And it could be it could be sharing it with one other person. I'm not I'm not asking you to share it as in like share it on your Facebook. You don't have to do that, but <laughs> share it with another person because now it may be something that can help them, yeah. you know? And maybe it's one of the other shows. I mean, goodness, there's there's 52 other shows there, you know? And if it's if you find something in there that can help somebody else, then why not? You know, why not help them develop and become better? So, Ed, what do you have for the group? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to share the show, too. I, I know I've learned some stuff uh, over the course of this journey. Uh, I, I know I, I've found some value added. I'm still getting messages from people saying that they're finding value added. So that's amazing. Uh, so hopefully we can continue on this upward climb. And uh, we can only do it with the help of our listeners, though. Absolutely, man. And, and there's quite a few out there. I mean, we've got we've got quite the amount of downloads. And um, Ed, I, I'm happy to say I just viewed the map the other day, and we literally have three more states in the U.S., um, just three left that have not been reached or not been listened to. So basically... There are the three, the three, the only three states that we have not had any listeners in whatsoever. It's just three: North and South Dakota and Wyoming. That is it. <laughs> every yes, every state has had. I know somebody in two of those. <laughs> well, they better, they better uh, get to listening. But uh, I mean, that to me, I I think that's a big part of the sharing because. I don't know people. Yeah. I don't think I know people in Montana and Idaho. I mean, maybe I do, but I mean, Montana alone, uh, 11, not too long ago, 11, 11 listeners. Uh, so, I mean, we've got, I mean, just across the United States, all 50 states, only three left. To me, that's just awesome. Um, and to me, that's people, that has to be people sharing it. It really has to be because yep. if it was anything else, I would be shocked because I'm not paying for advertisement. <laughs> All right, Ed, with that, are you good to go, my man? I am good to go. I got a honey All right, brother, a I... mile long. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. And I've got, uh, oh, it's almost, it is bedtime. So I got to get to bed soon. <laughs> uh, with that, I want to say, hey, this has been a great show. I loved it. So I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.